You're now listening to Hack and Grow Rich with Shaheen Shayan and his co-host, Bart Baggett, where we discuss hacking your way to success and the unconventional paths to unreasonable success with the people who've been there. And now, the author of Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult, Shaheen Shayan. Today in the studio, I got a freaking super treat for you. Shaheen Cheyenne, what's happening? That almost sounds like a fake name. It's so cool. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Dude, you're welcome, man. My my uh, excitement is through the roof, folks. He wrote a book called Billion, How I Become the King of the Thrill Pill Cult. You know, uh, he's got a podcast. What's called Billion? Uh, the podcast called Hack and Grow Rich, where we talk did you, about- Did you have two? So there is a podcast for Billion, the book. And it's a few chapters of the book and then me talking about the stories in the book. Right. But our entrepreneurship success podcast, which your listeners may be more interested yeah, yeah. in, is called Hack and Grow Rich, which we'd love to get you on, by the way. Hack and Grow Rich, folks. Go check that out if you want to follow him on social media, at Shaheen Cheyenne. It's spelled S-H-A-A-H-I-N-C-H-E-Y-E-N-E.com. Shaheen Cheyenne. Freaking cool. Name. What what is that? Iranian, you said? I'm Iranian, yeah. And we, that's an Iranian name? It's an Iranian name. We moved here as refugees during the 1970s, the late 1970s, the fall of the Shah. My parents were Iranian Jews and fearing persecution, basically left everything behind and came to the United States. And how old were you? I was five. So you've pretty much been here the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I consider myself Iranian-American, but, you know, we were— pretty well-to-do in Iran and literally overnight had to leave things behind. I remember literally running to a plane, uh, you know, just a couple bags. And we came to this country pretty much with the clothes on our backs and had to hustle. Dude, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, if five years old, you probably didn't remember it much, but that's crazy for your parents for damn sure. Yeah. I mean, look, I remember in Iran, we had the family structure because everything in Middle Eastern society is based around the family. When we moved here, Heavy. We, yeah, we didn't have that anymore. And all of a sudden, you know, my dad's working at a pizza place. He's working at a dry cleaners. And I'm looking around. Dude, he's back going, to square one. Back to square one. Yeah. But in Iran, you guys are loaded? We weren't loaded, but we were solid middle class. And moving here, we moved to an enclave of Los Angeles called Pacific Palisades. And in that time, it was more hippie. Now it's the hottest real estate in, in California. So when we moved there, my, my folks managed to get this like crazy fixer-upper house if they could just evict the Hare Krishnas that were living on the lawn. It was one of those deals. And my dad said, all right. And he managed to borrow money from friends and family. And we bought this junker house in this neighborhood. And the neighborhood started blowing up around us. We started seeing all the Volvos moving out and the Mercedes and the Porsches and the fancy cars moving in. And by the time I was 15, I started looking around going, dude, I want that. Sign me up for that. How do I get that? So I went to my folks and I said, hey, guys, you know, how, I want that. I want the, the beautiful blonde and the, and the Ferrari and the, all that fun stuff. How do you Beach get ass. that? Yeah, the beach house, all that stuff. And they said, well, you know, you got to look at the dude across the street. He's a doctor. You got to be a doctor or a lawyer. The, the, this, the pinnacle for Middle Eastern people, uh, Asians as well, from what I hear, is to be a doctor. That's the highest height that they could imagine for their kids. So I looked at the dude 
And the dude leaves home at 5 a.m. He's fat. He's bald. He doesn't own his house. He doesn't own his car. Sure, he's got a few fancy things. He comes home at 8. The wife's grumpy. He's grumpy. doesn't look like he's living the best life. But I was like, all right, well, maybe I could do better. How long does that take? And my folks said, well, you know, go, go ask the school. So I went to ask the school. They're like, well, you know, eight years and then another four years. And then you pay off your debt and you got to do an internship. That was my cue, Brad. I was out. That was it. I said, there's got to be a better way. Now, fortunately, in my adolescence, I had a very lucrative criminal career in elementary school where we, when we moved to this country, Totally didn't belong. I barely spoke English, got the living shit kicked out of me every day. It was just, really? yeah, it wasn't like now. Dude, why it, are kids mean? Kids are mean, right? Yeah. Are, well, again, I mean, little kids beating up other little kids because they can't speak English. Like you would think, what a, what a dick kid. It was the 80s. It was the 80s. It's not like that now. Yeah. My kid goes to some fancy school. You know, somebody even like hints at something. They're like, oh my God, microaggressions. Do you think they get that from their parents? The kids? Yeah. I think a lot of that stuff, well, I, certainly it's bad parenting. I agree with you there. You know, I come now from a background of martial arts, and I, I every single day take my kid to martial arts. We make sure that he trains with us. You don't want him you know, getting his ass kicked. Not that I don't want him getting his ass kicked, which I don't, but I want him to have the discipline that yeah. that brings, the grit that that brings. Yeah, yeah, true, true, true. But it's also a bonus like if anyone's yeah, gonna totally. do an ass kick, it's probably gonna be your kid. Yeah, it's true. That it's, makes you feel good. It does make me feel good. It's true. He's he's young, you know. He's eight now, but he's he's learning. And f for me, yeah, again, you know, it's it's the discipline that's most important. But back in those days, I got you know the living shit kicked out of me every day, and so I decided, hey, you know what? I'm gonna start a business. So we had all these misfits, all these kids that didn't belong, all these kids that got their asses kicked every day, and I gathered them all together. And we would go to the liquor store and we had a little kid. He was a midget. I don't think you're supposed to say midget anymore, but he was a small person and he was super cute. So nobody expected anything of him. And he would walk under those metal detectors that they had in the eighties that would you know detect stolen stuff. And he would stuff his clothes full of like booze, nudie magazines, all that stuff. And we would take it back to school and we would sell it to all the kids so we created a little bit of a gang where we kind of like started coming on top again. Only problem, Brad, was that we were really fucking bad at crime. Crime was, it, it, it is the one thing that we shouldn't have done because we would always get busted. We'd end up in detention where we'd find more customers to sell to. So it was a, it was a vicious circle, but I, I remember distinctly remembering at that point, like Shaheen, you're fucking bad at crime. Whatever you do when you get out of school, don't do crime. So it's, I'm 15. I'm going, I'm not going to become a doctor. That's bullshit. And school fucking sucks. I'm going to go find my fame and fortune. I left at 15. Left everything. Left my parents. Cut all ties. I didn't have many friends left at that point. Why'd you cut all ties, though? I felt like I needed to do something dramatic. There were a portion of people around me that I did care about and a, a bunch of people around me that were just a-holes. And I was like, you know what? If I'm going to do this, I got to burn my ships. If, if it's comfortable for me to come back, I'll probably come back. And this is at 15 years old. 15 years old. L.A. L.A. Now, L.A. at that time was going through a big building boom. And they were building 
hundreds, thousands of units everywhere. So I learned very quickly that if you went to see a few of these things, you could catch the brokers doing the little lockboxes that they had at those times. You could get the codes. So at night, I could slip in to these buildings that, you know, maybe they didn't have power, or maybe the water wasn't on, whatever, crash, and then be out by daytime. And that's what I did. I did that for, for a ton of time. I started hanging out at the community college where they often had free food. So I was like living on the food at the community college, sleeping in these kind of semi, you know, newly built buildings, trying to figure out what I was going to do with myself. And eventually I managed to meet a mentor, somebody who was really instrumental in my life. And he got me into the electronic music scene, the dance scene, the, the rave scene in those days. And I started looking at the electronic music scene, Brad, and I was like, okay, so who's making the money here? Where is the flow of money? Because I was always taught to observe the people and observe the flow of money, track the money, and you'll learn. Well, it wasn't the DJs because nobody cared about people who played other people's music back then. It wasn't the promoters. Those guys were high on all kinds of things and never were making it. But it was these guys hanging out at the door. And they were always dressed really well. They had beautiful women with them. They drove nice cars. They lived in nice places, had all the trappings of wealth. And I was like, what do these guys do? They deal drugs. It's the drug dealers that kept the electronic music going. So I was like, great. And at this time, there was a drug called ecstasy, MDMA, that was doing really, really well. That was the party drug. And the supply of it, because it's a, a very difficult drug to synthesize, had completely dried up. They couldn't get it. And I looked at them and I was like, all right, well, sign me up for that. Well, I'll, I'll be a drug dealer. And I was like, well, you know what? I remembered back to my criminal life as an adolescent. I was like, dude, that ends up in one place and you're really fucking bad at crime. So think again. And I had an aha moment. I thought if I could create a version of this that was legal that was all natural using herbal ingredients. Nobody could go to jail for it, didn't hurt anybody, and had similar effects, I'd be in the money. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, of course. That's like, that's like obvious. Like, I, you know, it's almost one of those things where, you know, if I could invent a wallet where every time I took a $100 bill out, three more would appear. <laughs> you know, that might do well. So, so True. that's almost like if you could come up with, legal synthetic coke yeah or or meth yeah or weed or, we did all any, that. or, or any of it <laughs> dude it's a freaking it's one of those ideas that are so simple it's brilliant in other words like i would have i that's obvious but i never would have thought it's actually possible i would have instantly said well obviously that's not possible like that's just something nobody would think of like what if i could make a legal version of that yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like, why do people always have to, like, try to, you know, figure out how to get to Mars? Just it, something like that is, like, massive. That's what we teach, low-hanging fruit. So you're sitting there watching these drug dealers, you know. Yeah. You're obviously, you're what I say, filled with common sense, meaning, hey, how do, who's making the money around here? That's common sense, but most people do not take it like that. So, boom, you see the drug dealers. You said MDMA, or is it MDMA? Yeah, MDMA, methyl That, that dried up? There wasn't it dried up. Very supply. difficult drug to synthesize. It was coming from Holland and the UK, which seemed to be the only two places where they had a good constant supply of it. And 
the government at that time, it was the end of the Reaganomics era and the trickle-down economics and all that stuff, and the just say no to drugs was was just finishing. So they had stopped all the inflow of this drug into the country, and very little of it was being made here. So I managed to get myself a girlfriend. Broke as I was sleeping in these semi-abandoned buildings, I managed to get myself a girlfriend whose dad was the superintendent at some school district somewhere. And as the guy would leave to work, I would come in through the back door and we would be cooking up prototypes in her kitchen. I managed to get some guys at the different herb stores. How in would you know what to do though? That is the first question that people always ask me. And the answer is, I just made shit up. You just like, like, dude, you've taken ecstasy, yeah? Yes. Now so, I have. Then I did not. So what natural shit can you take to make you feel like that? Yeah. So, well, basically the, the, the crux of the formula was a combination of something called the Fedra, which was very popular back then, but nobody had really popularized it for any other use than diet. Um, and a combination of caffeine, and it's the right balance of the ephedra and the caffeine that gives it that little body high that's very similar to the amphetamine high that you would get from uh, methyl dioxymethamphetamine, which is uh, ecstasy. But what I did was, look, I was broke. I was beyond broke. I had no other way to go. There, there, there was no option for me <laughs> other than to succeed. And you could have sat there and told me how impossible it was, how crazy it was. I wouldn't have listened. I was going to do it no matter what. I picked up the, you remember Yellow Pages, those big books? I always have to young explain to people what Yellow Pages are. But we had these big books, and I would just start calling out. Call one herbal store. Hey, man, could you front me some ingredients? No? Okay, next guy. Next. If, eventually, I would show up at someone's door, and they would smell it on me that this kid isn't going away. Like, they can smell the hunger on you. I know that you're involved in, in sales and, and you teach people that, but I think there's, there's something to be said about genuine authenticity and determination and that people can really sense that and the right people will want to support you. That's right. That's right. When they see that. So you had that. I had that. I had that. I was hungry. I was literally hungry and it didn't matter. And after a couple months of this kind of dance, waiting for the dad to leave, skipping in from the back, we had a formula that worked. We had you would it, take it yourself. I took it myself. I had all. But the, you couldn't have felt like herbal ecstasy is what it boils down to. Yeah. So, and I've heard of that. Obviously, I think everyone in the world has, right? No. I hope so. But but but, I didn't know it actually worked. It was pretty good. But I only did ecstasy one time in my life. Yeah. But dude, it felt like I was leaning backwards at a 45 degree angle when everybody else was upright. I felt really light and everybody was my friend, but it was the weirdest shit because it felt like I was leaning way back <laughs> the whole time. Wow. It was crazy. Never heard that. Yeah. But, but everybody else, I mean, I went to this hotel room and crashed uh, the bed and the pillow were the nicest bed and pillow ever. Like everything was just wonderful, like wonderful. Now yeah. that's what you made your shit do. It was pretty good. Is it still for sale? So I, I took ownership of the brand yeah. some time ago. Again, it was sold multiple times, but we can Is get, the, the, we can get to that part of the story. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll not interrupt, but I got questions. I can't yeah. help but ask. So, yeah, ask. so the shit I'm thinking of, if it's the same stuff was sold at like 
you could buy incense there and, you know, head shops, you could, you could yeah. get it at, you could get it at, uh, you know, I, I might even have seen some like at the, at the quick stores, yep. 7-Elevens and shit. Did you get them in there? We were everywhere. So, so that stuff actually made you feel like that? 100%. See, 100%. I didn't know. I was looking at it like, As, no way that's going to make you feel like ecstasy. Oh, our stuff did. Our stuff, our stuff was very effective. The, pro the problem the government had with it, and we can get to that in the story, was that it worked too well. But we had access to those ingredients. Those ingredients got banned largely because of us and our company and the stories that people were telling in those days. I mean, I testified in, in front of committees and all that kind of stuff. But dude, didn't you, ha didn't you have to get some sort of chemist or some somebody that knew all the shit? Not all the shit. How, how would you know? Hey, uh, take some of that and throw it in there and take some of that. And how do you even know to mix it? Like, what, was it in a liquid? Yeah, people have been making supplements and herbal products for thousands of years. The Chinese yeah, know them very you, well. Didn't you say you're like 15? I was 15. So I went up to a, a guy who knew Chinese medicine. I talked to him. I called, uh, I, I got books. I went to the library and I got books and I started calling the authors. Guess what? The authors pick up their phone, especially back in those days. They're like, yeah. You're like, okay, dude, I got some questions for you. And they talk to you. They tell you how to do it. And look, I did not have enough money to buy the machine to put the herbs in the capsules. So me and the girlfriend would roll them up and try to make them look as close to pills as we could, put them in little baggies, <laughs> and I would take them to the club. And I had this idea that, and this is where the sales comes in, that I'm going to distribute them through the drug dealers. So I walked up that night to a club when the formula was there. I had a backpack filled with these little baggies with these goo-filled little things. They were disgusting because we couldn't put them in capsules yet. And I walked up to this guy. Now, now, if you have tattoos on your face, they give you a platinum record. They call you uh, uh, whatever, the Post Malone, right? You get, you, it's, it's a normal thing. Or you see those two dudes on, on TikTok now? Oh, no, which, there's so many They're of them. They're just two dudes with some, like tattoos all over their face and spiky hair and they're like i'm an island boy you don't you haven't seen them <laughs> no I Dude, they're going viral keep going okay so this guy had tattoos on his face in the 90s in the early 90s late 80s and he was a rough looking dude he was the biggest drug dealer at the time the biggest xc dealer i knew that his supply had dried out i was hanging out at the clubs in those days and i walked up to him and he looks at me and he goes i'm out what the fuck do you want i said no no no, don't want drugs don't want drugs he goes, you don't want drugs? Fuck, are you a cop? I said, no, nope, definitely not a cop. Definitely not a cop. If I was smart, I would have walked away. I did not. Like my, my feet, Brad, were glued to the fucking floor staring at this guy. And something inside me was like, this is, this is that point. This is the moment where you're either going to make it or you're going to crawl back home and be a little, you know what? So, Bitch. There you go. You said it, not me. So I told him, I said, look, this, I got these pills. They're as good as all this other stuff. You won't go to jail for it. Also, he's like, what is this shit? I said, it'll do the same thing as ecstasy. He goes, what do you call it? And I started to think, I said, fuck, I don't know. I was like, herbal ecstasy. And just in that moment, when he was about to tell me to fuck off, two customers walked up to him, two party goers, and I hear him talking with them and they're not taking no for an answer. They want their pills. They just came to the club there and he motions to me. I hand him a bag. He grabs the entire backpack and he goes, kid, be back in two hours. You better not be fucking with me. And I came back in two hours. It was the longest two hours of my life. I was thinking of all the things I was going to say for this guy not to kill me. 
I was hoping that nobody would like freak out on the stuff, that nobody would say that it was fake. That the more concern was that people would say that it didn't work rather than it worked too good. And I came back in two hours. Now this guy had one expression. That was it. And it was all like bitch face. Like he was just angry. His face was just angry. There was no smile, nothing like that. I was sweating bullets. I was like thinking like, okay, I'll apologize. I'll promise I'll work for him for like a year, anything so he doesn't kill me. And he motions for me to come forward and he looks at me and he's, he's feeling, feeling me out. He's like, he's like, kid, when can you get me more? And that was it. It went from one guy to 10 guys to 10,000 guys. And we were everywhere. All the drug dealers were selling my stuff. A lot of them became legitimized. I made more millionaires in that day in the club scene, I think, than anybody. Because these guys were becoming legitimized. I started giving them territories. They opened up franchise shops. We had big ecstasy neon signs. We were selling a warehouse records, Tower Records. Larry Flint invited me to his office. He got it to all the sex shops around the world, 32,000 doors. We were selling in Urban Outfitters, uh, all the record stores, all the new age stores, all the head shops, 7-Eleven, GNC. We were everywhere. Now, mind you, I'm in my teens. I'm a high school fucking dropout. This is all pre-internet, pre-social media, pre-Facebook. Freaking. I was freaking out. And I remember at that time I had a collection of exotic cars. I was super big fan of cars since I was a kid. I had the Lamborghini Countach poster in my room. I was like, I'm gonna have all those cars I want. And I had 200 people working for me in Venice. If you could fog up a mirror, I would hire you. Because we were producing this stuff. These numbers are really good. 25 cents cogs. We were selling it for $20. We were printing money. I had all the cars, the plane, the boats. I had all that stuff. And I would oftentimes sleep just like on the couch in my office because I didn't have time. I would sleep. I, I drooled so many times on the, on the passenger seat of my Ferrari or the passenger seat of my Lamborghini because I just didn't have time to enjoy that stuff in those days. And I remember pulling up into my office walking in. I had a secretary in those days and the secretary is just pale faced and she's looking at me. She's like, I don't know how to tell you this. And I'm like, what, what's going on? She's like, dude, I got to tell you, Shaheen, the news just broke. You've broken a billion dollars in revenue. Sam Donaldson was in a limo outside waiting to interview, interview me for Nightline. Montel Williams had sent tickets for us to come to New York for his show. We had pretty much two Newsweek covers, LA Times, New York Times, London Observer. We were everywhere. This was it. I had invented the magic pill that was printing money in those days. And I remember Brad having a little micro panic attack because I didn't know how much, literally did not know how much a billion dollars of money was. I didn't know. Was it a thousand million, a hundred million? Was it 10 million? I had no clue how much a billion dollars of money was. And from there, it became an absolutely insane ride. Dude, this is like, this is like a movie. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm surprised it's not a movie yet. We just signed a deal. I can't find you on my damn social. I got to get people following you. Oh, I appreciate that, man. Thanks. Dude, I can't believe like I haven't heard this story. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard this story, man. How many, how many, like, dude, this is almost one of those unreal stories. Like unreal. Right. 
I'll just save this video and post it later. Yeah, well, the book just came out. So the book just came out. Is this about that story? The book is all about the story. Folks, if I was you, I'd go get the book, Billion, How I Became the King of the Thrill Pill Cult. You know, I'll tell you that, dude, is like a movie. That's right. Right there, it's almost like I, I want to go see the movie. And, dude, you lived it. Lived it. And at 15 years old, dude, you were, and, and if you had the, the legal form of ecstasy, not only were you printing money, but, dude, everybody was kissing your ass, weren't they? It was, you know, planes. What boats, about the girl that was cooking it with you? Did she get rich? No, there was a lot of those girls. So back in those days, there so was, you were, there was so, quite a so few. So you were the sole possessor of this? Yeah, that was it. That Holy was the amazing shit. thing. Dude, you must have been freaking loving life. You went from living in a freaking abandoned building. What'd your parents do? So did I, you go home? Did you roll up? At some stage I did. Yeah. And they were very proud and, and, and happy to, to have me back and kind of, you know, I mean, I wonder what they felt when you left, dude, because I got kids, dude, at 15 years old, they're still a kid in your eyes. You don't want them out there. I'd be scared of their, for their safety. Were they scared? Were they trying to get a hold of you? I'm sure. Yeah. But But you you weren't having it. No, I'm the kind of cell phone. No, nothing. Yeah, I, I'm hoping my kid isn't going to be like this, but my, yeah, this was before cell phones. Eventually I got that brick thing. You know, do you remember those brick cell phones yeah. where it was like that big shoe box with a phone in it? But, you know, I, I, I kind of feel like once I set my mind to something and I'm sure you're very much the same way, nobody can tell me no, there's, it's not an option. And that was the thing. When I was a kid, I started reading very early on the books of people like Napoleon Hill, and I was reading Tony Robbins and Wayne Dyer, Ogmandino, all, all these great... No, before that. Oh, wow. When I was like 10, I started reading that stuff when I could barely even read English. And I was like, this is incredible. People have fucking figured out how to do success, and they've written it in these books. Why, why doesn't everybody read this shit? Like, no, most people go through this, you know, they go through this trajectory in life and they go to school and they do all this. And I said, fuck that. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to make it. And I got to burn my ship. So every stage of the process was me burning my ships so that I had nothing to look back to. It was either fucking make it or die. Yeah. Yeah. You know, again, people ask me all the time about that, you know, and I, and I do believe if you must, I don't believe it's required. Why? Only because my story I knew I could go get these jobs back if I failed, which only gave me the balls to jump and fail. Why? Well, because, I mean, worst case scenario, dude, I just get my job back. So that's a boat, right? And then everyone says you got to burn them, which would have meant I should have went to all the opportunities of getting a job back and saying, you know, like ruining the relationship so I couldn't get my job back so I'd have the mental fortitude to keep going. But literally, that was the reason I I. Didn't mind jumping. So I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm glad it worked for you, but I don't know if I totally agree with burn your boat as a, as an, a general advice to people. What do you think? I think it depends on who you are. Everybody's yeah. different. And yeah. especially now in these you know kind of rough political times, everything is very polarized. So everybody wants a black and white answer to things. And the fact is everybody's different. Like, I don't know. I mean, for so many years, I thought to myself, man, when I have kids, definitely don't want them to go go to college. I'd rather have them just go to work in real life. And now I'm thinking, well, it really depends on the kid. It really depends on the person, their circumstances, yeah. and and also what burning your ships might mean to you. Yeah. At the end, well, I of think th- you, I think you were determined. Yeah. Like when you left there, you said, "Fuck this, I'm making it." Yeah. 
But, dude, your first, like, you didn't dick around with, I'm going to start a landscaping company or some shit, normal shit. Yeah. You saw that ecstasy was selling like a son of a bitch, which, again, duh. Like, so is cocaine. Still right. does. Yeah. Like, still yeah. does. Yeah. You know, but how come someone doesn't go, dude, if I could just make legal cocaine, I'd be a billionaire. But who who could actually do it? Like yeah. that's that's the thing. I the blows my mind is like when you're in the kitchen cooking and doing your thing. Wh- what the fuck are you mixing? Like how would you even know to mix anything? So I got like I said, I got books. I went to the library and I would get stacks of books. Even when, what would you what would you be looking up though? Like euf- euphoria feeling. What no? You what, look up books on books on hallucinogens. You look at books on herbal medicine. You look at books on herbs and the different effects that they have. I called, there's a, there's a guy who wrote the school textbooks on drugs all throughout the 1960s and 70s. This guy, Andrew Weil, who's a famous TV doctor now, and he's got a big company and whatnot. Do you know Andrew Weil? No, but you're one of these dudes I hate to interrupt because you're freaking such a good storyteller. Um, and people are going to kill me for interrupting, but, but if I don't, I'll fucking forget. I'm going to start making notes, but, but what you were just saying is another thing, another thing that you did that normal people wouldn't have done. Mm. Cause what I try to do is show people stories and things that can help them. So if I'm listening to this episode, I'm like, okay, you know, that was just a good ass idea, but so obvious. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to look around a little less, like, in other words, everything doesn't have to be so complicated. Okay. Now what else did you do? Well, you, uh, did the homework. Like you went, you went and found, you found people. You didn't like, like I would have stopped with the idea, dude. I would have said, <laughs> dude, if I could just make that shit, I'd be fucking rich. Anyway, I'm hungry. How do we get some food? Like I wouldn't have just said, that's it. I'm going to do that. I wouldn't even have thought possible. Secondly, I wouldn't have went and did all that work and found all those people and read all those books. Is that right? You approach, you, you, appear to me as being a very aggressive go-getter fucking well i am i am in certain ways but like not if i didn't think it's possible yeah you know like how do you think making a drug is possible out of fucking herbs and shit like did you have an idea about herbs before like yeah much like so who would have believed that I still don't believe it. I almost want to go out and get some fucking herbal ecstasy and go, damn, <laughs> all those years I didn't buy ever did I buy that. Yeah, I'll preface it with this. So Walter Isaacson, in his book about Steve Jobs, did yep. you read his, his yep. biography of Steve Jobs? Great book, by the way, for anyone who wants to check it out. Wrote that one of Jobs' core principles was he wanted to put a dent in the universe. None of that other stuff mattered. He wasn't a breadhead. He didn't care too much about, you know, money was good, but he didn't care about that stuff. He wanted to put a dent in the universe. And I was young. I had read these books and I was motivated to go out there and put my own dent in the universe and nothing was going to fucking stop me. And the more you think about the, the negative stuff, about the why you, the more you think about the negative stuff, about the why you can't do something, the more that becomes affirmed. If you just put that aside and you suspend judgment and you think to yourself, all right, I'm, I am going to do it. I am doing it. The conversation changes to from I am going to do it to I am doing it. And then you just start doing it. So I call this dude up. He's a famous TV doctor. He's got all these, all these books on herbs and stuff. And I said, dude, this is what I want to do. And he said, all right, well, if I was going to do it, I'd do this, this, and the other. I'd be like, great, give me their numbers. 
And then I'd call those guys and I'd say, hey, so-and-so referred you. And they'd say, fuck off. And I'd be like, no problem. And then I'd show up at their door. And again, my feet would be glued to the ground and I'd just be there with, with big 15-year-old eyes staring at them and I wouldn't fucking leave. People eventually will give you what you want. So I think a lot of the area, Brad, where you and me have common ground is that I learned through this mentor that I found when I was a, a, a teenager going through the community college, eating relish and ketchup at the hot dog stand because I didn't have money for food. I learned that at the end of the day, it all comes down to two things, authenticity and influence. If you are the real you, the real Bradley, the real Shaheen Shan, the real whatever, and you are that person, I mean, in your heart, your, your internal impression of yourself and what you put out there in the world, most of the game is won there. But it takes a lot of self-reflection. You got to become a self-reflective human being for that to happen. You got to be able to look back and go, dude, I fucking suck at, at, at a lot of things, but I'm really fucking great at these things. Secondly, you have to be able to exert the power of influence. That's why I have more respect in business for salespeople than virtually any other area of the business world. And I'm a big fan, so I, now I teach people how to start these Amazon businesses and launch these Amazon companies. And most of my work now is based on the work of Robert Caldini and his book, Influence. And at the end of the day, his study on influence, the factors that influence people, really, for the most part, have nothing to do with money. Most people are like, oh, I can't do that because I don't have the resources. I can't do that because I don't have the money. Bullshit. So in those days... What I first learned to master is the art of influence. My mentor taught me, look, he took me out. He's like, look around you. I said, well, what am I looking at? He's like, everything. I said, what do you mean everything? He said, everything around you was at one point sold from one person to the next. If you can learn how to influence people, you will never go hungry. And that was the attitude that I approached stuff with. So when I went up to a guy who had the herbs that I needed or who had the ingredients that I needed or the machinery that I needed or whatever it was, I didn't think to myself, dude, I'm a 15-year-old broke living in you know, the, the garage of, of my girlfriend's house. I was thinking to myself, he's going to do what I want because I have the skill set to influence him, regardless if I have money or not. Money's just the easiest way to get somebody to do something that you want them to do. There's a lot of other factors. Dude. Well, I believe in authenticity and influences my damn self. Did you say breadhead? Breadhead. What is that? <laughs> Just somebody who goes out there and focuses on money. Like all these young kids that I mentor always come to me, dude, uh, I'm going to make $10 million by the time I'm 50. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. No one cares about that shit. Like I have never in my life and I have made a billion dollars in revenue. I've made hundreds of millions of dollars. I've had literal stacks of duffel bags of cash piled up by a desk trying to figure out what the fuck I'm going to do with it. Uh, I, I, which leads to a funny story. I, I remember being in my office on the top flight, I had a big office, uh, nice, you know, the, the boss's office at the top and I had a dog and my dog knocks down this pile of papers. There's some cash, there's some other stuff in there. And I look and it's a check. This is in the 90s. And I look at the check, and it's a check for a million dollars. And I remember just putting it back into the pile because I didn't fucking have time. I was just like, yeah, I'll fucking get to that. We were making so much money. And I remember later on, I was at dinner, and I was like, fuck, did I just put a, I just put a million dollar check back in a someday maybe file? But at the end of the day, 
I've never been one to chase money. It's a yeah. fool's game. You chase excellence. You don't chase money. And again, you know, this is what I teach every single person who I teach how to build products, how to build those products up on Amazon, how to create these little mini recurring revenue empires. That's what I teach. Like, stop fucking chasing money. It's not going to get you anywhere. Mm, I like that. I'm going to give it a bomb. I've been forgetting to drop bombs this whole time. <laughs> Dude, you have an unbelievable story. I didn't even freaking imagine today's episode was going to be this good. Oh, dude, that's kind of you. I appreciate dude, it. Dude, there's people, there's people right now going, holy shit, dude. They're looking you up. They're Googling you. Uh, you. I can't find him, but are you sure it's at Shaheen Cheyenne on Instagram? Oh, on Instagram, it's Hack and Grow Rich. Oh, shit. That's why I can't find you. Oh, sorry dude, about that. But, yeah. But why the podcast, dude? You need to get your own damn page. Yeah, yeah. With that name, dude, sounds like a freaking made-up name. I'm like, is that your real name? You're like, yeah. Yeah, yeah we got to do it. We've been trying to focus more on the podcast now that we're getting, um, you know, more guests and, and more people on, and, you know, our, our listenership and viewership is increasing. What's Tony Robbins' podcast called? Tony Robbins' podcast? Is it? I don't know. I'm asking. <laughs> I don't fucking know either because I don't follow his podcast. I follow him. Ah, uh, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah, so if yeah. I were you, I'd switch that shit to your name. Shaheen yeah. Cheyenne, and yeah. then and then and then that that's you, and they'll know you have a podcast. Like people follow okay. me, not my podcast. Yeah, but they know I've got a podcast, and the reason they follow me is the podcast. A lot of them. Gotcha. So it, it's just my opinion. Obviously, you know you're you're a freaking brilliant dude. You can do whatever it is you want. But going back to you're 15 years old. You're making more money. You're putting back million dollar checks. You're running around. Everybody must be kissing your ass. Everybody. Yeah. And that's what makes it really difficult. You don't realize until you're rich and famous, the burden that I, that actually places. Well, that's where I'm going. What, what, yeah. what, what did you, how did you respond at such a young age to all of that attention and ass kissing? Yeah. I write about that in the book. I mean, it's, it's difficult a, because you know, if you're a young single guy, females in general you don't know if they're interested in you or interested in the money or more well, over fame that's all right <laughs> well you kind of do at that Eventually, age who gives do. a hug i'd be like what you want to do what <laughs> no problemo let me try that out yeah there's no shortage of people that want to be around you when when you're like that but at the end of the day to be authentic you want people who've got your back yeah, yeah. you want you want yeah but you, you, dude you're yeah. 15 man yeah. How old are you now? 46. See, like, you, you, you've you lived a lifetime or two in those years. Like, see, this is what people don't understand. You might only be 46, dude, but you've lived the life of a fucking 150-year-old because there can be someone that lives till 90 and not see a fucking fraction of what you've seen. <laughs> see what I'm saying? Yeah. So you're 46, but you're really like 460, bro. I feel it. This is where the wisdom <laughs> comes from. Yeah. See, there's advice and then there's wisdom. Sounds like mm. you you possess wisdom. Appreciate it. And we're that. not even getting to the to the real wisdom. You're just telling your story. Yeah. Like, dude, there's so many nights, so many meetings, so many fucking things that have happened to you that would be valuable for people to know. It's unbelievable. It's all in this book. It's in the book. Yeah. Because, dude, I'm telling you, that's some that's some like freaking. I, I wonder, I almost use the word envious, but I'm not envious, but I'm envious. In other words, like, damn, dude, I want to live that life. Right. So, so you must have learned a ton of shit really quickly. Did you hire lawyers and not learn contracts or did you like, you know, get into those too? Yeah. It was only when 
the company broke the billion dollars in revenue. I had the head of Bear Stearns calling us. And it's a funny story. It shows you how naive I was. So this guy calls me up. He was one of the heads, I should say. And you know, limo's waiting outside. Back then, every, everything was limo. I don't know why, but, but I guess before Uber. So limo's outside, takes me to the office. The guy's got one of those runway offices, you know, the ones where his desk is at the end, and you're like, fuck, man. And you're looking down, he's like feeling me out there, bringing all this I, I, stupid move. I was vegan in those days. So they, they had researched all the stuff I eat. They brought only like vegan food in those days. And, I, you know, I'm eating the food, and the guy's talking and talking. He's trying to feel me out. He wants to take us public. But I didn't know that. And he goes, all right. And, you know, I get back in the car, you know, back in the limo, get back to my office. I remember they asked me, so how'd it go? How'd it go? I was like, I don't know. It's just some asshole. I think he was trying to sell me stock. That was it. That was, that was my level of sophistication. There was a period of time I write about it in the book where a man shows up at my office with an invite on a private jet to Tokyo and a duffel bag with a million dollars cash just, just for going. So I went. And it turns out that a partner I had in those days had promised the entire business to the mob, the Japanese Yakuza. And so I'm there, this teenage kid in one of these real cons, these beautiful Japanese buildings. You know, it was like a movie. It was like with the geisha and the pouring the tea and all that stuff. And the head of one of these crime families is coming in and I've got to negotiate myself out of them taking my company from me. There were some, there were some wild Dude, times. Who, where's, who owns the rights to your movie? So the, the movie right now is with a production house, and they're now interviewing studios and directors to, to make the film. <laughs> Jeez, this is fucking awesome. Dude, you're, you're, you're going to get into another whirlwind after that movie releases. Yeah, I, I hope so. You've seen The Wolf of Wall Street? Yeah, with Jordan Belfort. I saw him on your sh he was on your show, but yeah. Nobody would know who Jordan Belfort was if it wasn't for that movie. Yeah, that's that's true. That's I mean, true. I don't mean nobody, but like nobody massive. But I love the, that movie. It was a great movie. Well, that's what's about to happen to you, dude, cuz your your, so. your movie doesn't your movie when someone says based on a true fucking story, <laughs> they're going to be like, "No way." I mean, now we're talking about the Japanese yakuza. It was, it was crazy. See what I mean? And like, we're not even scraping the freaking surface. There's a million things that you've done yeah. and experienced. Oh yeah. So how did you negotiate your way out of it? Well, it was a trick. It was a tricky thing, but it was again, you know, I channeled that inner, whatever you want to call it, that inner warrior in those days where I, I, a played a little bit dumb, like, Hey man, I'm just a kid. I think they weren't expecting me to be that young. I think people all the time would be like, yeah, let's, where's your dad? Did like, you walk in and see to some Japanese guy going. No, the dudes were there. They were all smoking. A bunch of them had missing fingers. You know, they were all tatted up. It was, it was definitely a heavy scene. And when this guy walked in, everybody got up and they were like this. And I was like, the fuck's going on? And my, and my Japanese partner's like kicking me. He's like, get up, get up. And like the dude comes in Asian, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've done business in Asia. It's very different than here. I have not. Oh, you have not. I mean, we sell passwords all over the world, but I yeah. don't, I, I'm not doing business in Asia. You can have multiple meetings in Asia about a specific business without the topic of business ever coming up. And you will only know later how that business went. And in this case, business was not discussed. They poured tea, I drank it, they poured sake, I pretended like I drank it because I don't really drink. And it was, it was a very, very tense moment. But I managed to get out. I managed to get out and um, you know, we made a deal. They got uh, a couple of the brands, not all of them, uh, for a limited time. And it, uh, it ended up working out, working out okay. 
Um, but you know, the bigger problem was that allegedly one of the big pharma companies. So in the 1980s, everybody was taking the stuff called serotonin, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. There's, there's, a, there's a few famous ones, anti-depression drugs. Turns out that one of the big side effects of these anti-depression drugs is that it makes your ding-ding go dong-dong. However... Dong-dong in a bad way? Dong-dong in a bad way. Yeah. Um, effectively leads to sexual dysfunction, erectile dysfunction for, for a lot of these people, allegedly, who were taking these, these drugs. Now, the drug companies had an answer to this in the 1990s, a beautiful blue pill. All this is alleged, by the way, so please don't anybody sue me. This beautiful blue pill that would solve all this. And they put billions of dollars into developing this blue pill. They were going to put it out. It was going to be the breakout drug of all time. Save the pharma company, save you know all the lobbyists, all the stuff. Well, there was one thing they didn't factor. A long-haired Iranian kid with a rebellious spirit that didn't give a fuck and was completely unregulated and millions and millions of people taking my pills instead of theirs. And what happened was they freaked out. They got the lobbyists to go to government. I've got actually videos of the uh, presidentially appointed head of the FDA talking about me on Nightline being like, you know, we got to we got to do something about this before, you know, after the horse is out of the cart, it's too late. And they cracked down and they got the government to start banning some of our ingredients. And what happened, what ensued after that was a game of cat and mouse where I would come and they'd be like, oh, we're banning ephedra. And I'd be like, all right. Uh, and I'd travel to some exotic country. I'd find some other ingredient. And I'd be like, we're now doing this other ingredient. And then sure enough, two weeks later, they'd be like, we banned that ingredient. Why though? What is their fucking problem? The pharma companies, allegedly. Yeah. Yeah. It would, they don't want look if if you spent two billion dollars creating a pharmaceutical drug double blind placebo trial all that stuff you don't want some kid coming in and taking over your market with no regulation that's why it's a good thing you ain't dead hmm. they'll kill you for that there were lots of opportunities for me to be dead I think I'm pretty hard to kill so so. <laughs> So this shit goes hog wild. It's everywhere. Now the yeah. government's coming and basically saying, dude, this you ain't making this shit. Powered by the big pharma behind yeah. them. Yeah. And again, I don't want to talk much about all that because in my opinion right now, the big pharma is what's causing everything that's going on right now. Like it's yeah. big pharma, dude. Big pharma runs this fucking place. And if people don't understand that, dude, something's wrong. Because they do. How, how are they doing what they're doing right now? This is ridiculous. I've never imagined in my wildest dreams shit like this would be going on. Well, who's who's this powerful? Because this is some fucking power being displayed right now. Crazy times. And it's also some fucking balls, you know. Yeah. That's the balls. And I'll tell you what, I totally believe it's a crime against humanity. Yeah. More important now than ever to be that person who's self-reflective and to really exercise your power as a human being. And, but you know what, for guys, guys like us that are entrepreneurs, now's the best time to make money. And that's yeah. what I tell people when they, when they come to me, they're, they're, they're all caught up in politics, this and, and COVID this and vaccine this. And I'm like, all right, that's, that's great. But it, if you're not focused on you, if you're not focused on making your money 
now, somebody else is. Yeah. I make this great, uh, one of my favorite quotes in the book that I say oftentimes, and, and a, a lot of people think it's controversial, but I like to use this a lot, especially with young entrepreneurs that I'm, that I'm helping out, is that while you are sleeping, your enemies are planning your demise. And it's never been more true than today, especially in business. Now in this kind of society that we have where everyone's like, oh, you get a participation prize for just going real. And you know this more than anybody in the real world, in business, it doesn't fucking work that way. If I'm not buying your thing, I'm buying it from someone else. And that guy's probably working harder than you. So now at this particular point in history, we're going to see more wealth created than I think the last hundred years. And, and now is the time to be involved in all these things. So great point for some reason as you're talking even though great point great point bombed worthy i want to go back to the you know 15 to 20 year old with the freaking money dripping out your ass and lambos yeah. and ferraris and everyone kissing your ass yeah must have been a time of your life <laughs> it was fun and you didn't really have to it wasn't like a you know a, a white collar job even though you're a ceo you were traveling around going to parties i imagine all over the world yeah people were coming to my parties i had a beautiful mansion right on uh malibu celebrity row which i bought from didn't uh, the neighbors like be like who is this kid people knew i was it, it, and everyone it, said he 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 made he made illegal ecstasy i was on the news every night and the we, I, mean, I was on MTV, VH1. I was on the cover of Newsweek. I was in the LA Times, at all the, all the magazines, newspapers, all that stuff. I w I was on, and it's it's a weird thing when you first walk into a room and people recognize you, but they don't know you. Very strange feeling. Very strange feeling. So it's a it, it it's kind of a a combination of yeah it's it's of course it's it's fun and it's a power high and you're like wow this is awesome and you have money to do whatever you want, but at a certain point you got to learn to temper it and that's the problem with youth is that it doesn't know when to stop and that's one of the great things that kind of got me to where I was right I didn't have any obligations I didn't have a wife and a kid like I do now I wasn't a family man in those days I had nothing to lose. So I was able to take greater risks that were calculated and led to huge astronomical success. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't make it because they're not willing to take those risks. So there has to be like, so then what? Like when did it all end and how did it all end? The government starts blocking all your shit. Yeah, they, they start blocking. I mean, I- which, which hurts sales. It did hurt sales and it helped sales. So this is the funny thing about that. You got to remember that when it comes to this particular industry, unlike other industries, people are thinking the exact same thing that you're thinking. I think it's fascinating. That was your comment. Like, does this shit work? People aren't thinking, will it kill me? People are thinking danger is good. If it's dangerous, it must work. So I would do every interview. I wouldn't say no to any interview, even though I knew a guy like Montel Williams. He was out to get me. Do you remember Montel Williams in the 1990s, big talk show host, kind of like, you know, he was the male Oprah of his time. He would really be like anti-drug. Now he's not, I think now he's all for CBD and weed and all that stuff. But back then he was very like, you know, I'm military, don't do any of this stuff. And he was going to have me on his show. This is a great, great story. 
So he's going to have me on a show. I hear from my publicist and I had some ears to the ground were telling me, dude, this guy's going to fucking ream you. He did. He's going to have the FDA on. He's going to have the FTC. He, he, in fact, wanted to have somebody there arrest you, but they couldn't find anything to arrest you for on, on screen. But he really wants to ream you. That's why he's treating you so nice and, you know, nice hotel and flying you out and all that. And I said, you know what? Let's do it. I heard this two days before the show. I flew out. And what I did was I had about 12 people who worked for me get there early. We had t-shirts printed with our 800 number. It's pre-internet. And we gave them all sweaters to wear, different colors sweaters to wear. I had a t-shirt myself with the 800 number on it. And we had free pills. Everybody in the line got free pills in the line waiting to get into this big studio show. We gave them the t-shirts and we paid some of them. I said, hey man, we'll give you a hundred bucks if you wear the t-shirt when the camera pans over to you, just take off your sweater. And we did it. From that one airing, we made over a million dollars. The phones were ringing like fucking crazy because he had this FDA guy sitting next to me. And the guy was like, you know, some junior FDA, FTC, one of those offices guy. And he was like, this stuff will kill you. It's killed millions of people. We, we never hurt anybody. Nobody ever got hurt. And I'd be there. I'd be like, no, it doesn't. But what people are hearing is this shit's dangerous. It's got to be good. So our sales went crazy. From there, we did Lollapalooza. Went on tour with the Beastie Boys and uh, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Porno for Pyros. And in those days, we had a line of angry vendors because at the show, people were buying our product and didn't have enough money to buy booze. They didn't have enough money to buy beer. There was lines around the block. There was press lines around the block at our booths at these concerts. So much so that... We were collecting so much cash. This is before easy credit card processing, 20 bucks, 20 bucks a piece, right? Or we would do five for a hundred that I had to buy. I, I sent a dude with cash to buy RVs so that we could fill duffel bags with cash, put them in the RVs and drive them back to our office in Venice, every location on this tour. Cause we were doing over a million bucks each show in cash revenue. How did you, supply all of it, like fulfill all of it. We had manufacturing facilities set up all over the country. Anybody who was making vitamins. Now were they in pill form? Yeah. We, we eventually got it into pill form. It ended up looking pretty nice. It came in these little pyramids and the pills yeah, look nice. Can you buy it right now or no? We have a formula of Herbal XC right now. We are rebranding the company and relaunching it hopefully next year with the, you know, with the announcement of the film as a male performance pill. So we're, I'm, I'm trying to rebrand the entire company as Optimal Performance Company. So when I took ecstasy, it's the only thing I can go on. Yeah. It was it was like a, a, a real high. And I'm sure you know people right now that have taken ecstasy are thinking the same thing. Your product made people feel like that. Yeah, to some extent. It wasn't exactly like that. You didn't have the full empathetic. But people were buying it and over and over and over, so it must yeah. have made them feel good. Yeah, it's but, true. But you ever eat like freaking, you know, zero-carb bread? Yeah, I love it. Like, you know, carb. it's better than fucking no bread. But <laughs> it's, it's like cardboard. But, but it's not like fucking <laughs> Wonder Bread. Okay, so like, like I can understand, like, if you're like, here, try my herbal ecstasy, it makes you feel kind of like that. And then someone's like, you know, they're a little antsy, but that's about it. You know, oh, but no. this shit must have worked heavy duty. It worked really well because everybody was buying it over it, and over again. Yes. Yes. It was good on its own, even if you didn't compare it to another drug. The thing with ecstasy MDMA is that it's what, what's called an uh, empathogenic drug, 
what it actually does is there's this like heart opening process that happens when you take it. That's why they were using it for relationship therapy. I met several times the guy who founded it, this guy, Alexander Shulgin and his circle, the guy who invented, you know, or he discovered, rediscovered it. I think Merck had found it before. They were trying to use it as a truth serum back in the day for military people. They would like, Hey, if we give this to our enemies, will they tell us all their secrets? But the fact is that there's nothing that could do exactly that. But ours, for what it was, it was good. And certainly for what I was doing with it, it was great. No, nobody was getting hurt? Nobody got hurt. Not they, a single reported injury, not a single reported incident of anything in all the hundreds of millions of those things that we sold. Did, not the, one. did the media say it was hurting people? Yeah, and we got paid pretty good on that. So the, the press would pick up. They love to hate me. I was one of the most hated guys in that time. They were like, we're going to fucking get this guy. Because nobody wants to hear that success story. They want the Jordan Belfort of like, you know, look at this meteoric rise and fall, right? And the guy ends up in jail. I didn't have that. So they would, they, the, the news broke one day that, oh, these, this, these kids uh, took something at a rave. One of them died. It wasn't my product. They were taking something totally different. They were taking actually real this this drug at the time called GHB, which is like a party drug. It's like a you know whatever. Isn't that I've heard no, of it. nothing I would take? Um, but that's what they were taking. But somebody had packaged that trying to compete with us. Well, this kid took it. He had a, a pharmacy of drugs in his body, and he died. Never took my product, but they picked it up as he took herbal ecstasy, and they put it all over the press all over the media. They had pictures of my product with a tombstone in the background. They had me on TV shows with this kid's mom crying and all this stuff. And they ended up paying us a lot of money. A lot of those settlements are confidential, but a lot of those TV stations ended up paying us because it wasn't true. And they retracted. We made them, I made them pay us and I made them do retractions with our 800 number. So I made an 800 number for people who were concerned about the effects of drugs on their kids, and it was just a sales line. So we would just sell them our, our products all day long. I had a phone room with like 200 operators. Dude, so when did that all end? Uh, that was probably in the late 90s. And so what did you decide to do? And from, by the way, and by the way, did it end because they just kept dicking with you and finally you just like, I can't deal with this or? Yeah, I just kind of, I got tired of it. I got tired of, of playing cat and mouse. And did it you was- just sell it to somebody? It yeah, I sold it. I sold the assets and then I ended up buying them back some years later. So I own them now, but you know, it was, you know, someone bought it, ran it to the ground, usual story. But you know, with, that, with a with the bad formulation. Yeah, it was all that stuff. I mean, you, well, you, again, because dude, I'm also figuring up. You're a good marketer. You're not stupid. I like you know, to think wearing so. the one eight hundred number on the TV. Yeah, like some people would have just not even thought of that. Oh man, that guy got so mad when he found it. It took him a while because I think he either he has like uh, some kind of learning disability or something, but he couldn't read on TV. So he, I think he couldn't either see the thing on my shirt. So they aired like reruns and reruns and reruns with my 800 number across it. And then he showed one other one and the dude called me and he was so fierce. He's like, you want to buy airtime on my show? I charge a hundred thousand dollars a minute. You, 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 that Montel. Yeah. He was, he was beyond himself angry at the fact that I wore the shirt on his show and he didn't notice it, but I thought it was great. It was just, I was just sitting back. These guys were like, they were, they were, they were completely like badgering me with like negativity and people on were just, ordering they were calling the 800 number ordering product when you sold it how much revenue was it doing when i well i sold the different brands we were we were doing hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue when you sold it yeah so you must have sold it for a bank load it was a lot yeah and, and then what well is and, there a time where you and then i lost it all no 
So at that point, I, I, I lost quite a bit of that original, you know, billion dollars in revenue. I, I, I'm, I'm, I was in those days, and I, I tell people this oftentimes, two parts to making money, making it, keeping it. I was really fucking good at making it, really bad at keeping it. I've since gotten better at that. But uh, from but when there- When you have that much, you don't, need to, you don't need to figure out how to keep most of it. It's just, just make that much and you're fine. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Unless, like, I'm, I'm waiting for this, you know, and then this happened and, you know, I'm hmm. back on the streets. So then I started looking at smoking as a problem. I started looking at, okay, so people have been smoking for thousands of years, and this is really the best we have. You burn something, you get smoke, tar, and carbon monoxide. And I started looking into this concept of vaporization and basically developed and invented and patented and wrote the book on the first vapes. Um, I did, invented the first portable vape, the first digital vape. That company went public. Um, there was no vape industry before I invented that technology of portable digital vaporization. All well, the e-cigs, all that stuff came out of my technology. That's crazy, dude, because that's yep. huge now. It's huge now. Everybody vapes that, that smokes. Yeah. I don't, I, I'm. I vaped for freaking probably two or three years. Oh, did you? Okay. It, it, it stopped me from smoking. Yeah. There's pluses and minuses to it. I, I can't say I'm a huge fan, but well, I was uh, starting to like cough up like white shit. Yeah, and I thought because I was told, "Oh, this isn't bad for you. It's just vaporized water. It's it's good for you." Yeah, definitely well, not vaporized water. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it, after a while, you know, I started coughing up this white shit. Like it was almost like you know when you're a smoker and you cough yeah. up black shit yeah yeah oh just really same shit but white shit and i'm like fuck dude this can't be good for me fling and stop it stop doing it that's awesome that you could do that most people don't have the discipline to be able to quit something like that cold turkey when they're well i, I wouldn't say it's discipline i'd say it's i'd say it's confidence or or self-love i like that yeah because dude why would you why are you not worth clear lungs why are you not worth fitness why are you not worth money why are you not yeah. worth happy relationships like when people find themselves in those bad situations nine times out of ten dude you look at their psyche and they don't think they deserve any better yeah which is why they don't have it you're right or one of the reasons no you're totally you're totally right so you so you finish that deal and that and then you invent vaping Invented that, yeah. Digital, digital portable vaporization. And that company went public. I exited that in 2006. So that, that was a great business. I was making those things for 20 bucks. We were selling them for 400 bucks. And yep. imagine this. Now, you want to vape, there's like 3 million choices. Not only that, you probably sold out way too early, didn't you? I did sell out too early on that company. But that was it. We were it. That was it. You want to vape? You buy my product. I'm the only one. I invented that shit. You buy my thing. And so I was like, well, what are we going to charge for it? I was like, it costs 20 bucks to make, charge $400. Containers were coming in, containers were going out. I was like, all right, could we charge more? Like, what are we going to do? No, maybe I should lower the price. So we started reducing the price, reducing the size of it. The first one was the size of a ketchup bottle. The next one, the size of like a, you know, little cigar. And finally we got it to the point where it was super, super tiny. And that company, yeah. So I, I, I definitely exited that too soon. I had some life situations that were happening at that time that uh, compelled me to sell it. But um, yeah, and from there, you know, I started deciding that I wanted to go, you know, I had my first kid. I decided, you know what, man, I want to get back into the pill space, but I want to develop something that's in the nootropic space. 
it's, it's a funny story because Bradley Cooper, who's in that film Limitless, was at my house in Venice, and we were talking about all this kinds of stuff long before his film, which I think was just a coincidence. But I was like, man, I want to make that Limitless pill. So I came up with a formulation, great product, was expensive because it's expensive to make real supplements. Most people don't know this. For something that like really works well, is going to cost a hundred bucks and more. And, and most people don't have that kind of money. But I was like, all right, I'm going to make the best freaking thing called Accelerol Focus Plus. Uh, but I need a way to sell it. And it was back in those days before Jeff Bezos was this big behemoth of a, of a you know, the richest man in the world. He was just kind of like a Silicon Valley geek. And he had this company. You could email him. You could call him. Like he was very accessible back in those days. And we heard through the grapevine that he had opened up the Amazon platform to allow third-party sellers like you and me, anybody, to sell whatever they wanted. I was like, all right, well, this is expensive as a supplement. Let me just put it up there. I think it was $120 a package at that time. Let's see what happens. I put it up. took me 15 minutes. Went to sleep. Woke up in the morning. We had thousands of orders at 120 bucks a piece for Accelerol. I was like, holy shit. I was like, this is it. I'm going to look into this Bezos guy. As I started looking into him, I realized this isn't some chump. This is a guy that comes from smart money. He knows how to take cheap money from Wall Street and put it into Silicon Valley. And he's like I was with herbal ecstasy. He's not going anywhere. His, his feet are glued to the ground and he's going to make this the biggest e-commerce platform ever. And nobody believed me at that time. When I said this, I was like, I'm going all in on the Amazon thing. And so we learned to buy stock. No, I learned how to sell, how to speak the language of influence, how to convert all the lessons that I had in influence and sales to speaking the language on Amazon. And I became one of the, the top experts on Amazon. Fortune 50s, Fortune 500s started coming to me with their products. And we built a beautiful portfolio of over 300 different products. And then people started coming to me saying, Shaheen, like, I know you're the Amazon guy. Can we hire you? And I'm like, dude, you're not going to be able to afford me. But what we're charging now is crazy. So I developed a course. And so now I've got people from all over the world who are leaving their jobs or even during COVID, best time ever for Amazon businesses. They're developing products. We show them how to find a product. We show them how to build that real estate, how to speak the language of influence and how to sell that product on the Amazon platform to create these recurring the, the, revenue businesses. You have? Yeah. Where's that at? Where, where is it at? Yeah. It's online. I know, but where do you, where do you go? Where do you go? Oh yeah. So it's fbasellercourse.com fbasellercourse.com or you'll, you'll be happy with this shaheenshan.com so you can go to shaheenshan.com or fbasellercourse.com or to anybody here on the show who's actually interested i have a one hour course it's normally 200 bucks i'll give it to anybody who's listening to dropping bombs for free if you're interested it's everything from a to z how to start an amazon company how to find a product how to get reviews social proof one of the most critical elements of influence. We oftentimes talk about this and I've been watching a lot of your videos uh, and trying to learn your process. And I think a lot of it comes down to what happens before the sale. And with Amazon, a lot of it is what happens before the sale. How do you, when people get to you, you've already created that decision engineering of them making that decision when they land on your listing. And that's, that's what we do because most of the time, most people don't have time. If you notice, Amazon has simplified so much 
the buying process. You don't even want to fucking think about it. You're like, dude, I got to buy underwear. I got to buy diapers. I got to buy whatever. You want to go to that listing and get in and out as quickly as possible. And most people think that's just, it's, they take that for granted, but that's something that's architected in such a beautiful way. And we teach how to do that. So anybody that's interested, if you guys reach out to me, I'll give you my email. I get to email zero every day. It's darkzess at gmail.com. That's D-A-R-K-Z-E-S-S at gmail.com. I will get back to every single person. If you get back to me, mention dropping bombs and I'll give you guys the $200 course absolutely for free. Dude, you might have thousands of people. Let's do it. You're going to get back to every one of them personally? Thanks to David Allen, getting things done. Yeah, I get to inbox zero every day. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, you're you're like a freaking plethora of knowledge. You do do you do any personal coaching? Like if someone wants to hire you to mentor them, small business out there saying, Dude, this guy freaking, I need him to mentor me. Yeah, absolutely. Reach out. You know, we do that a lot through my Amazon mastery course and platform. And I have a lot of people who uh, come to the course and the platform for coaching and mentorship, but I do that too. One of my, uh, this ain't one of them drop shipping things either. You're teaching someone how to find a product, build a product, develop a product, everything. The drop shipping thing is weird. And I I think a lot of people will argue with me, but I think at this point I'm pretty well established in the Amazon world. I'm like one of the top three experts in the world on the platform. So I can, I can say that I think for the most part, the drop shipping thing is bullshit. It's a way that people will get you to buy a course or, you know, it's like all that shiny stuff you see on Instagram. Like, look at my Lambos, come do the drop shipping thing. It's mostly bullshit. What I want people to do, what my goal is, is I want to inspire people to stop selling their fucking hours and to start creating these recurring revenue businesses that are bringing in money while they're living that lifestyle. Why are they doing all the shit that they want to do? You can't really do that with dropshipping. Do you ever do live events? We did one in South Africa just before COVID. I think spoke to close to 10,000 people, which was fun. But I'd love to do live events. Maybe you could show me how. I, I'd love to, to well, do more of those. you just announce them. Yeah. Like if I said, hey, da-da-da-da-da, come downstairs, there could be 50 people or 5,000. You never know. Yeah. But obviously you can target and you know do other things. But that is a good skill to learn because of what yeah. you just said. I mean, at the end of the day, you can start getting a little freedom back in your life. And it's also something where you can bust your ass study when you're not working your normal job and then slowly build it up to where you quit your job. You can do that part-time. Yeah. So one of the things I teach is this concept of foundational thinking. Got a table with three legs. All right. It'll stand up. Four legs is ideal. Four legs, stable table, right? Three legs. All right. Two legs. That's a pretty shitty table. One leg, you're a fucking tripod. So what do you do? One quadrant, of your of your of your table your your foundational thinking should be cash flow positive real estate so we work on that with people i show them hey get into some real estate have some of your money in there second quadrant should be something that's bringing compounded interest something where you're compounding your money if you're into crypto i'm not a crypto guy but if you're into crypto that could be one thing stocks options futures whatever just make sure that it's compounding another of those platforms should be your job, your career, whatever it is that takes that pressure off your family. So, you know, I'm always family first, family guy, most important things to make sure that your family is taken care of. So if you've got to fucking go out there and drive Uber, if you've got to have a job and sell your hours temporarily until you establish the four foundations, then cool. 
right? If you, if you're, if you're like some people who've got a trust fund, then that can be one of your foundations. But if you're not, then oftentimes that has to be work and that's okay. Nothing wrong with hard work. And the fourth pillar, which I argue right now with real estate being so crazy and things being so nuts should be real estate on an e-commerce platform and none better than the Amazon platform. There will be more people look at Jeff Bezos and they're like, Oh, look at him. Fucking richest guy in the world, whatever. Nobody Not anymore. Yeah. Well, Elon Musk beat him. Yeah. He'll come back. No one looks at that guy and goes, how many millionaires has that guy made? That guy has made significantly more millionaires than Elon Musk. There are more millionaires that are going to be made from the wealth that Jeff Bezos has created, I think than anyone else in, in the last hundred years. And that's the important thing that people are missing. So once you build this kind of foundational wealth, which is what we teach, you can't have a fucking bad day. You wake up and your stocks are down, your real estate's up. Your real estate's shitty, your e-commerce business is good. That's shitty, well, you still have your job, the kid's still in diapers, you're all right. Four-legged table. Well. The fourth leg where, where my main job, I wrote down basically main job. How do you decide which one's which? What if your e-com's bringing in hundreds of thousands? And, like, why would you keep a main job then? You wouldn't. Yeah, you don't want to sell your hours. So, unless you, so unless you, you love what you do. you three legs. Oh, well, you would, have, you would have your whatever that thing is that would be replacing your would be replacing that. So the, the, the foundational thinking is from start to when, when you've reached a level of success where you're comfortable and living that lifestyle. And then that could be replaced your job with something that brings you fascination, something that brings you interest. So one of the things that I love to do is to work on shit that has nothing to do with making money. Like right now I'm at a point in my life, I've got enough money. I've got all the stuff that I want. I'm like, I'm, I'm good. But I constantly like to foster this interest and fascination in new things. That's how I get into that flow state. That's how I get into that state where I feel like anything's possible. So what happens is you replace those hours that you're spending with work with something that you're fascinated in, something that, that drives your curiosity and can get you into that flow state. Where do you live? Venice Beach. So you're not far from here. What if we came back for another episode? I'd love it, man. I'd a be part honored. Two. Let's do it. Well, we're going to do that. Listen, I appreciate you coming up here for this, being live in studio. The picture on this book's kind of interesting. You almost look like a, like a, uh, like a guru or a sad guru or a shaman or some sort of, you know, like mystical type. I think that was the idea. So that photo Thanks. It's courtesy of David LaChapelle, who's the sweetest guy ever, you know, world famous artist. He's, he's probably one of the most famous photographers, iconic photographers of the 1990s. And he shot that for details magazine where I shared, uh, you know, herbal ecstasy, I should say, shared the cover with, uh, the guy from Soundgarden, Chris Cornell. But, at, but they made days. you look very spiritually. Yeah, right. So, so for, for anybody who's listening, he's talking about a picture of me in a pink robe and long hair. That, that was funny because when I handed you the book when we were in the green room, you were like, who is this guy? Which totally doesn't, doesn't look like me now. But that was the idea. We, were, uh, we had a little bit of a, a, a movement going around those days around what we did. People loved our stuff. We had fanatic fans. Well, if I, I would imagine whatever you come out with in the future, 
you know, again, if you're going to try to make it limitless pill and you succeed with that shit, let me have some. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. Like, you know, uh, what's his name? Um, Rogan's alpha brain. Yeah. You know, I take that, you know, it gets me a little more focused. I think I feel it a little bit and I, and I, and I do focus and think a little bit clearer, uh, yeah. when I take it, but it doesn't work every time, you know, to a, to a degree of, you know, where's my alpha brain. I'm going into a meeting or a pitch. Like I need my alpha brain. You know, I like, I didn't take any coming in here, but if it actually worked, worked. Yeah. I'd, I'd wake up and take alpha brain. Yeah. We've got some stuff in the works. See the, the problem, most people, you know, again, they don't understand with supplements is supplements aren't built for you and me. So you and me, we're like, all right, we've got money. Like go out there. Give me the best thing. I want the best thing. People aren't like that. People are like, I got $20 a month to spend on this. So they build a supplement for $20 a month. And what they do is that, and I'm not talking about Joe Rogan's on its thing. I'm, I'm sure it's a great product. I don't know much about the ingredients and whatnot, but image in general, the supplement industry, what they'll do is they'll say, okay, so we've got a $20 budget, which means we can make this thing. We have to make it for $3. So if I'm going to make this bottle for $3 and I want to put 50 ingredients on there, so it shows up in search, then you buy this supplement where you're like, oh, this is great. I paid 20 bucks or 40 bucks for it. The label's really good, but doesn't really have the stuff you need to do what me and you would need it to do to perform at an optimal level. So I take the supplements that I take aside from my own stuff is, is really just like single ingredients. I vetted the source and I take like a hundred different things every day. What, what, what's something everyone should be taking every day? Every day, well, I'm going to say you should be taking Accelerol or Focus Plus because it's it's our supplement. It's actually Where pretty do freaking get good. That, though? You can get it on Amazon. So it's it's called Accelerol or Focus Plus. It's actually pretty good. It competes with all those other products, the Onnits of the world and whatnot. But I'll tell you another one that I think is really great that I take every day is matcha tea. Do you drink matcha? Have you ever drank matcha tea before? So we're one of the biggest suppliers of matcha tea on Amazon. Our brand's called Matcha DNA. For anybody that's interested, check out Matcha DNA on Amazon. And matcha is a green tea that is the highest in antioxidants, polyphenols, all that stuff. And I recently just did 120 days off coffee, which was crazy. And I just did matcha. And I got to tell you, I have never been more focused and directed and energized than that point. This is like the second cup of coffee I've had in 120 days. Matcha. <laughs> I've heard of matcha. Yeah. I've never had it though. Does it taste good or no? Oh, it's great. Can I send you some? Yeah, dude. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. I'll send. I'll, I'll send you a you bunch send of me it. Accelerol Focus Plus. I'll if send it, you all if, that. If it works like freaking like that, <laughs> dude, I'll I'll sell you a million bottles. Shit. Everyone here <laughs> wants to go get it right now without even me saying a word about it. Just you saying it is enough. How do you spell Accelerol? E X C E L E X C E L E R O L. Accelerol. And, yeah, and there's an Accelerol. It's, like it's like a focus pill. Yeah, it's the focus pill. It was the biggest one in America until a little while back, but it was the the hottest selling brain supplement, nootropic brain supplement. Does it give you any jitters? No, not really. Unless you're caffeine sensitive, it wouldn't. It, it does have some caffeine from natural herbs. There's no fake I, caffeine I in there. I just don't like jitters. Yeah. I, I forgot there was one pill a long time ago. It was a while back. Uh, they were called something. And they, they, they got outlawed because they worked. Oh, but, but, yeah. but man, it was like, you took those and it was like, you know, it almost gave you an anxious feeling. And Dude, I you hate, want focused energy. I hate what do you anxiety. Eat? What do you eat? Yeah. I, believe it or not, just, you know, nothing really, uh, <laughs> depends on the day, but, but it, as far as a 
type of diet, I would say more paleo. Yeah. Okay. So I was going to say keto, but I don't consume a lot of fat. I yeah. do the keto with not much fat, which is not keto. So it's more paleo. Yeah. You do more paleo. You don't do like the MCT oil. No, carb, or... you know, no, no carbs, no sugar, basically. Yeah. And you work out a lot. I imagine. Not a lot or I'd be fucking ripped. Yeah. yeah. I work, I work out enough to not get round and rotund. You're busy with family and working and all that stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and, and I don't work out with someone that's going to spot me. So I don't do negative reps. And, you know, that's uh, to, to build, you know, you're going to need to, you know, really freaking do some work. I don't do that much work. I just, I just want to make sure I don't, I don't, you know, I can fit in my jeans. You're how old now? 52. Damn, man. You, you look good for 52. Thank you. I want to be like you when I'm 52. You already are, man. Shit, dude. You're, you, I'm probably going to be like you when I'm 52. <laughs> I'm going to start, I'm going to start, you know, I'm going to read your book. Number one, number two, Accelerol Focus Plus. I'll, tr I'll give that a shot. I know that, like I said, Alpha Brain, I like old Joe Rogan, so I'll give him a plug. Alpha Brain's pretty, pretty good, you know, uh, but it's not to where, oh, I got to have it. Yeah. Is this? Accelerol's pretty good. I hope it's, I hope it's like, dude, when I take Accelerol and then go do a podcast or I take Accelerol and then go on stage or, or anything and it's like, because sometimes I get into a flow state yeah. on a stage, in a video, on a, on a podcast, uh, at a party, doesn't matter. And I get this weird-ass buzz. Yeah, yeah. It's the craziest shit, dude. Like sometimes I'll be sitting in a meeting and I'll say something to a, in a way that just makes perfect sense, like perfect clarity. And, and I get this feeling of like a buzz through my body instantly. Just yeah. Because you're in your element. And I don't say shit to anybody, but I feel it. And it's like, whoa, if you could freaking can that shit. <sighs> it would be amazing. Dude, it's like, see, that's what I mean. Like, you can't can that shit, but you didn't let no stop you, dude. You didn't let, shut up, dude. No one's going to be able to mimic that, a feeling of a drug, but you did it. Yeah, what you can do. So, so yes, no one's ever going to make a pill that's going to give you that feeling, right? That feeling of, which is partially dopamine release. When dopamine is released, the same thing you get from social media and, and, and all that stuff, but it's a big dopamine release. So what you can do is you can set up your life where you are living optimally. You're eating clean. You're doing the right workout for you. Everything is tailored for you. You're taking the right supplements that puts you in a place where it's easier for you to fall into that flow state when the opportunity presents itself. But for you, it sounds like it's mostly when you're in the zone, when all the things are, are lined up and you know what you're fucking great at because you are a, a reflective person. When you have all that stuff lined up, you've eaten well, you've slept well, you've worked out, you're there. That enables you to get into that zone. There's no pill that puts you into the zone because you're the one that puts you into the zone. Have you ever experimented with like ayahuasca or any drug drug? I did. What's funny is that I, I used to travel to the Amazon and to all these far off and exotic places. And I would discover these things. And we actually had an ayahuasca pill that we came out with in the nineties on the tale of herbal ecstasy, which was funny before anybody knew what ayahuasca was. What, what was the herb that was causing the hallucinogenic? In ayahuasca? Well, so I, in, in your pill, like, is there, it was is ayahuasca. There <laughs> it was, it was Banisteriopsis capi, which is the, the ayahuasca root. Um, and what we didn't have was DMT, dimethyltryptamine, which are the two elements that you have to have for it to, to work. But the ayahuasca part, if you take enough of it, could actually have those effects, which we, which we had 
in those days. And I've had, I mean, we'll, we'll, we can talk more. I've had some crazy times with that stuff. But as far as like, look, as far as like business and the path of entrepreneurship and the journey of entrepreneurship, people hate me for saying this, especially being someone who like, I've been out there, I've got pictures of myself with these tribes. I mean, I've hung out with cannibals and crocodiles and taken the shit out of a coconut and like had stuff, you know, shot into my nose from, you know, dudes wearing a loincloth. I've done all that. I don't think it advances you in any way on your entrepreneurship journey. I don't know anybody personally who's a better entrepreneur because they do that stuff. And I feel the same about alcohol and drugs and all that stuff. I don't think there's anybody who's better because of it. And when you are in a place where you are chasing flow, like, like you were telling me, you're like, man, I was on stage and I, you know, it hit and I was like, fuck, what's up? But like, can I chase that? When, when that's the thing that you're after, I don't think that stuff puts you any closer to that feeling. What do you think it does though? It does open your mind. It does. Like I took, I took a lot of LSD as a kid. <laughs> Did you I, really? <laughs> yeah. I think it opened my mind. Yeah. I think there, there's, there's a time for it and there's a, there's, there's a place for it. But in your case, it'd be interesting to see what, what would happen if you didn't. That would have been interesting, but we will never know. We'll never know. That's the thing. So, so uh, dude, you got all kinds of things going on. So, folks, listen, first of all, I'd follow them at Hack and Growth. Hack and Grow Rich. Hack and Grow Rich uh, on Instagram. Listen to his podcast, Hack and Grow Rich. Go get the book, Billion. And, again, if you guys – didn't get the spelling in the beginning, Shaheen Cheyenne, S-H-A-A-H-I-N, and then Cheyenne, just like it sounds, C-H-E-Y-E-N-E. And you can also find him at ShaheenCheyenne.com. Dude, right. this is a good episode, man. I can't wait for part two. I'm gonna have some, I'm gonna have some research done, some, some, some questions. I think you're a plethora of information. The experiences that you've had in your life could definitely help people in the future but the main thing i would recommend you and the bomb squad go do is learn more i don't know how much they are or whatever but uh that free course if you guys ain't taking up him up on that you're stupid but whatever your actual course is and what it, whatever it costs if you can show somebody how to freaking walk through the steps to where they can build one of those pillars on 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 amazon i think if you learn pro, you know marketing and promotion and that could be your freaking claim to fame. You know what I'm saying? Everybody should be thinking about how do I get something going on Amazon, even if you're already crushing it, doing something else. So I think, you know, a lot of these people go get your course too. It should be on light speed, but you know, yeah, whatever. Okay. Love to learn about it. Well, I, you know, it's like, you know, I'm the Shaheen of <laughs> online training. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, you've never even heard of Lightspeed, have you? I, I did a little bit of research on it before. Yeah. Well, looks amazing. Well, it's, 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 it's pretty slick. But, but uh, regardless, it's the information that, that really makes the difference. And if that's something that, you know, can help people get that, I call it laptop lifestyle, that yeah. freedom. Love that. Just that comfort, man, to start living life properly, dude. When you start getting money coming in with – you know, like an online store or, or any kind of thing where even if it's cash, cash flow real estate, you own a bunch of apartment buildings and you're just, your checks keep showing up, but you haven't really done anything, that gives you the ability to go to Disneyland with your kid. You know, go find something that keeps you interested and passionate and, you know, helping other people. And I, I just think it elevates the human being. And at the end of the day, the human being collectively is the planet. 
So mm-hmm. if we if we all elevated, wouldn't we live in a more successful world, yeah. better world? Let's do it. Yeah. Well, again, dude, appreciate you coming all the way up here, man. Thank you so much for having me on. And, man. and one of these days, we will do a part two. You know, as fast as you're ready to come back up, I'll do it again. Appreciate you, man. Thank Guys, you. Share this episode out. If not for you, maybe someone you know needs to hear it. Go give us a rating. And until next time, keep it real, kids.